to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. What's up, everybody? We have a great show for you today. Or do we? I have no fucking clue how it's going to turn out. I don't know. The world is burning, and uh, we're going we're going down in a flame of glory. But we're going to do it entertained. <laughs> I hope. <clears throat> Goddamn smoke in California is messing my whole life up. It's been... Uh, about a week and a half, maybe two weeks of uh, of smoke and fire, shadow and flame, as uh, Gandalf put it in uh, California. Every goddamn summer, every goddamn summer. But no, don't worry about it. Climate change, not a thing. No big deal. Nothing to see here, folks. Anyway, what do we have? What news do we have today? Um. God, my dog is flipping the fuck out. <laughs> Every time the mailman comes, he loses his fucking shit. <laughs> this is stupid. It's always the little dogs, man. It's the little terriers and shit like that. <laughs> he's, he's an animal. Um, what, 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 what news do we have today? God damn, shut the fuck up. Jesus Christ. Put a muzzle on that thing. Uh, what do we have today? We have... Uh, Keith's book's been out a week. So that's good. Go pick that up. Um, Jesus Unsomething. Unexpected. Uh, something about the end times, which are obviously being proven wrong. Uh, next week next week on the show we are going to have keith giles he will be uh i'm gonna give him a call hopefully he answers we're gonna try to have him on talk about his book and he's gonna have to convince me that we're not in the end times given uh given covid given tornado of fire in california given hurricane laura i think it's laura laura uh yeah he's gonna have to convince me that the rapture's not coming in 2020 uh, but this week we we have a special guest. If if we can get him on the line, it is uh, Matthew Reeves Corpman, a fellow choir author. He wrote a book called "Saying No to God," which is just about as heretical and apostate tastical as you can get. So we're gonna give him a ring a ding ding here. He is a uh, Yale uh, scholar. Well, he went to Yale. I think he got his master's. I think he's getting two doctorates at the moment. Because he's a fucking crazy person. Why do you need so much goddamn education? I don't know. I'm not going to ask him that. <laughs> we're going to ask him rhetorically. Because education's good for you. So we're going to get him on the line right now. Hello? Matt. Yeah? Who's this? 
This is Matt DeStefano. You're on a podcast. Damn it! I told I told you to delete my number from your your contact list. That was like a month ago, dude. I want to hear from you. I don't listen. I don't listen, and you can't tell me what to do. I don't even know how to respond to that. Like that's just accurate. That is that is who you are. That is who I am. I I, I am that way. And and not not only that, but this is not even a, a regular phone call. You're being recorded right now. I should I should be up front and say that you're on a podcast. Well, at least you made it legal. I mean, if you didn't say that, and and I was still on your <laughs> podcast, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how long our our rivalry here would last. But all right, well, fine, sure. You know, you you got me at this point. All right, I'll forgive the the phone call. Let's let's go. You're you're reeled in. This isn't the Heretic Happy Hour. This is my new show, the Apostates Anonymous Podcast. Oh well, why didn't you say that? I only disliked you because of association. Oh well, this makes it all different now. Apostates, you said that sounds like my cup of tea. Oh, you're you're not okay with heretic happy hour, but you're okay with apostasy. Okay? Why are you putting okay. words in my mouth? Because I am I'm like a gospel writer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I can't keep this jig up too much. This is this is <laughs> too much. I love heretic happy hour. I love you, Matt, and I'm really happy to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I why I wanted to call you because um, you have an interesting approach to theology that honestly I haven't heard before. I ran into you. And it's this whole notion of saying no to God and this idea of confrontational theology. And ex- explain that to me because, or where it came from, because I think I know what it is, but I haven't heard it from anyone before you. Sure. So I'll, I'll do I'll do different instead of like, oh, how did I get the idea? Like historically, where does the root of the idea come yeah. from? So yeah. So skipping the classic line, it's from the Bible. Um, it is, <laughs> but we'll just skip that. Um, so some of the earliest. Uh, references to this theology outside of what is the canonical scriptures uh, for most Christians in the New Testament. Um, You get a reference to this uh, second century in the secret book of James or Apocryphon of James, one of the books that were found at Nag Hammadi. Um, Jesus has like a post-resurrection experience with um, James and Peter, and, and Peter is dismayed because he sees Jesus constantly going ahead at one point saying things that sound like God loves them, and at other points telling them God hates them. And Peter basically says, Lord, I don't understand. At times you you bring us close to the kingdom of God, and other times you seem to be pushing us out of it. What are we supposed to do with that? And Jesus says, oh, well, don't you understand what I've been trying to teach you? You're supposed to accept the good stuff and reject the bad stuff. And like, this is what I've been trying to teach you for so long. So this is a very early Christian document, which says way less about Jesus, but says a lot more about early Christians in terms of how they are viewing things or discrepancies in their sacred texts or tradition. What happens when there's these conflicting images of God? What are you supposed to do with them? In this case, you're supposed to reject the thing or fight against the thing that seems to be uh, negative or seem to present God uh, in a more devilish aspect. This idea seems to pop back up uh, primarily, with, as far as I know, with Martin Luther during the Reformation. When he went back and started looking at the Hebrew Bible, not using the, the Septuagint as much, he started to notice that the Hebrew was pretty radical in like the story of like Genesis 32 with Jacob fighting against God and the, the divine being proclaiming that, Jacob, you have overcome God, and here's the blessing. I'm giving you the name Israel, which means those who fight God. So this becomes a real key point for Luther's theology early on in the Reformation, and Calvin adopts it as well, the idea that to be truly Christian is to be one who fights against God for the sake of 
the better understanding of God. So you fight against what Luther would say is the devil's mask. Like God takes a mask of the devil, puts it over his face, and tries to see if you notice a difference. And if you don't notice a difference, then you've been worshiping the devil the whole time. If you do notice a difference, then you actually know the difference between the God and the devil. Um, and so it's very much rooted in like, for Luther, a conversation about God's character um, and trying to separate the crap from, you know, what is actually spirit filled and what is really important. This idea, though, didn't seem to really catch on as far as I can tell past uh, Luther and Calvin and Calvin only moderately adopted as far as I know. Uh, Luther was really trying to push for it. It drops. It never comes back, really. You get it. You get um, it to kind of jump back up with Soren Kierkegaard in his book, Fear and Trembling, when he talks about how um, the radical I, the radical thing about Abraham's faith in Genesis 22, Kierkegaard argued, is that Abraham manages to conquer God by the idea that he doubts that God really wants the sacrifice that yeah. he this is somehow like a, the ability like Jacob to conquer God that he can allow himself to think that there's something higher than God's words so that is part of the idea Carl Bart alludes to this a bit he says like in one commentary on Genesis he says like um, the church can never truly be the church until it's the place of of you know a resistance a battle between God and man um just like Jacob and you get this idea uh, most recently developed in a much larger way with Peter Rollins with his uh, one of his early books, um, The Fidelity of Betrayal, in which he uh, explores the Jacob story again. And kind of he kind of lays the groundwork for where I come in almost like 10 years later uh, with my book saying no to God. So and I, of course, I quote, you know, um, Rollins extensively in that book. Because really, up until Rollins, no one had really dedicated to this theme in a popular way, um, these ideas. And certainly, even Rollins' book doesn't spend the entire book on the theme. Uh, and so, for me, coming in with this idea, it was really to try and uh, synthesize as much as possible a focused examination of like, well, what does it really mean to fight God? Why is this theme even something that was in the Christian tradition? And what are we supposed to do with it? Okay, yeah, it sounds cool to say it. All right, kind of edgy, but like something this edgy is like fundamental. It's something that can really transform your whole conception to the point that you feel like maybe you're in a different religion entirely. So that shouldn't just be something on the side where like Bart puts a little commentary in one of his dogmatics and says, oh, yes, this is interesting. It's like, no, no, this is probably something that needs like a really strong look at like you really need to delve into this this could have huge implications well that and that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking is that if you're i think you're on to something i think when you do read the bible you have these stories where like like you mentioned jacob where jacob is like his name means to fight with god right so it's, yeah, the it's new like name, it, israel yeah right it's it's celebrating the fact that we do this and yet it sounds initially so repulsive to the religious mind because you say yes to God, Matt. You don't say no. <laughs> I mean, who are you to say no to God? That's a good question, right? I right. Mean, like, and this is a question that cuts across what people like to think of as progressive or, or conservative divides. Like, you know, if you think about it, everyone agrees on inerrancy of scripture. 
Like, I mean, if we take that specific issue, everyone agrees on it. Like, people falsely think there's a real strong disagreement. There isn't. Both the liberals and and the conservatives, the far left, the far right, whatever, they'll both come together and they'll agree that if you had God's words, they would be inerrant and authoritative yeah. and binding. They, they're fine yeah. with that idea. The argument is really just baselessly going around in a circle trying to argue that, but this text we have, this thing is or is not actually inerrant. Um, so the debate really isn't fundamental. It's just kind of, you know, circumstantial. Do we already have it or, or not? And mm. what I really try to tackle in my own work is, well, is the concept even right? Is, is this even correct uh, from a biblical standpoint that even if you had God's words, that they would necessarily be the absolute authority. Is that really the vision of what Israel means? Because if that was true, how would you even be able to fight God? How could you have a conflict with God and win, which is what Jacob does, gets declared the winner? How can you win a battle with God if God's always the winner? right? It wouldn't make sense unless there's a paradox going on. But certainly the inerrancy model doesn't make sense. It can't just be like, well, sure, whatever God says, that must be the case, because then there would never be a conflict. The moment you started to to resist would be the moment you lost. And instead, we have a God in Genesis who's like, no, 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 I want you to resist me so much that I'm going to give you a blessing. And it's that I'm going to declare that you and all your descendants should keep fighting me. And that just runs totally contrary in every sense to any concept of like religious obedience in the typical stereotypical way. And certainly against the sort of new atheist critiques that usually get um, hurled at scripture in terms of like, oh, well, it's all about a, a crazy God who all just simply wants uh, obedient slaves who do whatever he says and don't question. It's like, well, OK, but that doesn't match the very origin of Israel's name. And yeah. to Christianity's discredit, they haven't really cared to embrace that meaning of the name. And so, you know, no duh, most of our circumstances or our, our perceptions of Christianity have been entirely shaped by this obedience model, not by this Jacob wrestling at the Jabbok River model. Yeah. Do you, do you think it has to do with um, like where the Hebrew people came from? Like the, the, they were kind of they struggled a lot. There was Babylonian stories that kind of predate the Bible or the Torah. And so there's all these presuppositions about God or the gods, and then they come out of it. So from their kind of onset, they always had to kind of say no to what the status quo was. Do you think that has anything to do with it? It might. It definitely might. I think what's interesting is that I've always felt that to some degree, this theme is deeply tied in with the fact that for the Israelites, they are looking at Yahweh as specifically in regards to like his character and the fact that in their scriptures, there's always this call for like, be holy as I'm holy, be like me, fought, you know, imitate me and represent me to others. That theme is very, I feel like, given my studies, I feel like it's very different from many of the other cultures that surrounded Israel, where their system was much more, the gods have eternally created this circumstance, the status quo exists, you know, we fit into it, uh, our job is to placate the gods, our job is to worship them and give them these things. But like, the idea that you are supposed to incarnate or embody this divinity within you, that you're supposed to become representatives, living examples of him, um, 
I feel like that theme let it, you know, kind of lends itself to the idea of like, well, if I'm supposed to care so much about who this God is and like incarnate him, then like I would have to really know who he is. And then like that conflict of like, oh, wow, like God's not arbitrary, right? Like the God of the Hebrew Bible is constantly saying, I promise you this. I swear by myself that I will do this. Like he's the one who enters into the covenant with Abraham before Abraham does, like unconditionally promising in Genesis 15 that I'm sticking with this whether or not you fail. Um, And that kind of an image of a divinity that is so invested on a character level, character, um, you know, heart level with the community has to shape how much attention you give to that character. All right, this is a divinity who Mike, you know, uh, Malachi 3 says, um, I do not change. Right. But that's not really in reference to like, I, I'm like Greek Hellenism. Like, I don't change. I'm eternal and never can. No, no, no. This is more like, I don't change my heart. I don't change what I'm invested in. I don't go back on my promises. That kind of investment, that's going to, I think, affect deeply how much you engage. And then think about as well, like the idea of how the Bible's always talking about God and Israel as like husband and wife. Well, the point is, it's like a relationship right? Yeah. Relationships are messy. Relationships yeah. struggle. Relationships yeah. to be authentic, really deeply try to understand each other. So again, all these themes, I think, lend themselves to create this unique scenario uh, that other nations didn't develop where, you know, the Israelites can look at God and say, he wants us to fight back when we see issues that seem to affect either his promise keeping, like in Exodus 32, that's one of the main arguments Moses gives for why he says no to God, is that you're not a promise-breaking God, but if I accept what you just said, you are a promise-breaking God. So I can't accept that because I know that's not who you are. So I feel like the relational aspect of this is deeply a part of why they can envision this in a way that I think other nations just couldn't. Yeah, I love all that. I think it's great. Are Are you really saying that Christians just need to read their Bible more? Because that's what I, I hear you saying. They just need to read it and they'll see this. Because well, it is there when you point. I loved your book saying no to God. <laughs> and when I read these stories, I'm like, yeah, these have always been there. But how have I not seen this? How have we not seen this as as a faith? I would say like it's a little bit of both. Uh, a little bit of that and plus something else. Like, yes, you need to read the Bible. Okay, great. All right. You, there's a lot of crap and lots of good. So reading more of the Bible uh, makes you more knowledgeable. But knowledge doesn't change you. Okay. So like yeah. anyone who's been in Christianity long enough and smart enough already knows that <laughs> you can right. get as much knowledge as you want about it. And <laughs> it doesn't exactly necessarily either make you better or, or worse or otherwise. It just, you know more. Okay. So then you need that other element there. And that other element is, uh, the correct lens to think through these things. Like, okay, what do I do with a story in which God wants a fight? How, how do I then evaluate the moments in the Bible when I want to fight God? You know, like plenty of Christians have read Joshua and thought, damn it, I want to scream and yell about this genocide. Or, you know, they want to step in in a story and say, no, that's not right. I don't think that that's God. No. And Usually Christianity just says, nope, that's not the right thing. Okay, if you embrace stories like Genesis 32, you have to embrace the implications that they give you for the rest of the whole narrative. And that is simply, oh yeah, you're not supposed to squash those feelings. In fact, you're supposed to get into it and start rustling and tussling. And so in order to do that, then you have to reconceive how you typically are imagining God, the church, 
Christianity as a whole, like you really have to give a whole new foundation in your mind for like, how do I go about like, how do I go about uh, incarnating or enabling or um, actually like actualizing what it would mean like to live the name of Israel, those who fight God? What would that kind of a, a, a religious experience be like? And that's going to both be a bit intellectual and a bit mystical. And to do that, I think that's the element. You can read the Bible and read these stories. You can conceptually know they exist in there, but then you've got to actually connect that into a new understanding and experience of faith because otherwise, like, it's going to always be disconnected. You're going to be trying to live this very proper religious submissive kind of lifestyle and say, well, God's ways are not my ways. And at the same time, you're going to be contradictory to be like, oh, yeah, and then people in the Bible defeated God and stuff. Yeah, that happened. I mean, that's not going to work. You're going to have to have the implications of the one completely affect the rest. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. I love that scene in, um, was it Bruce Almighty when, when Jim Carrey's character is like, smite me, almighty oh smite. He's like wrestling with God. Smite me, almighty oh smiter. And that, but that, that doesn't end up being what God's like. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of that because it's like, we have this idea of God and then we kind of just get in God's face. And then it's almost like then, then you get the aha moment about what God is really like. I liked Evan Almighty too. I liked the, uh, I, I actually enjoyed Evan Almighty more than, than Bruce. I liked both, but I thought it was great too with Evan Almighty that like, oh, there's a flood that's going to come. There's a flood that's going to come. And so like Evan thinks like it's the worldwide flood. It's like, it's, it's meant for destruction and, and everything else. And then I'm like, no, the, the, it was just a, like, it's a, it's a event to help bring about a greater blessing, like to create like, oh, I thought God wanted to like destroy everyone. So I interpret God through this lens and oh no actually God's not doing anything like that. Like my conception of God was so flawed so that the outcome doesn't match at all uh, what I thought. And then like, that's a whole experience in both movies. There's a large theme of like, you don't understand God's character. You're misconstruing it. And by going through this experience, you're going to come to understand better why you should have known from the beginning that things were going to end up this way. Yeah, I love um, I like uh, Jeff Turner's stuff about you have to become an atheist to your God concepts. It's like and I'm, I'm of the belief that most of the time, like when we talk about God, we're really just talking about our theology and, and we we have to become atheistic to that in a sense in order to get to know what God is really like. Yeah, in a sense, basically, in a sense, you have to to find to become truly faithful in a sense, you have to apostate. Like you have to, you, in order to, Amen, truly, brother. <laughs> in order to truly like embrace a deep faith, you have to be at the very least willing to apostate. Like, um, you know, like when Abraham in, in Genesis 18 is, is debating with God about Sodom and he says, you know, far be it for a judge from you to do this. He says, he says this line, he says, um, shall not the judge of all the earth judge justly. And people read that line as just like a simple question. But like, if you know different traditions in the Hebrew Bible, like, um, like Psalms 82, in Psalm 82, uh, there's a job description given for divinities. And that job description is stated that a God's duty is to give justice. And in the story in Psalm 82, the gods who don't give justice are condemned to die, condemned to not be gods anymore, because they failed their duty. So 
Now, if you have that conception in mind and you're an Israelite reader thinking through that lens and you're hearing Abraham tell God, hey, shall not the judge of all the earth do justly, right? What's he getting at? You're failing your job description. Mm -hmm. Do I need to replace you? Because I'm in this for justice. I'm in this for like the principles that undergird all this. If if you are not representative of that, then maybe this isn't the right religion. Maybe I'm not in the right circle, I thought. And it's precisely Abraham's dedication and faithfulness to the higher principle, the, the thing that really matters, the thing that's actually tied to God's character. And he knows that. That's why he says, far be it from you to do this such a thing. He knows who God's character is. He already has an idea, conception of what is truly good. And he's saying, you know what? You, you're going to have to prove to me you are that thing because otherwise this is this isn't going to work. Like I'm not, I'm not in this for, for just the fact there's a power game here. I'm in this for what the really deep principle is. And that's important because it just shows you that like, he's ready in a sense, Abraham's telling God, I'm ready to apostatize here. If it turns out that the faith I'm in is actually toxic. And just because you're a divinity and can talk, that doesn't make you any better than the devil. If your views are going to imitate the devil. So I don't worship the devil. So you prove here and now, who are you? What God are you? And that's a, an important point. You, your deepest sense of faith is when you understand what really makes that faith important and you don't get locked up in some false conception of obedience that would easily get abused for like anyone else, both in religion or in secular religion, like, you know, fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I, I won't take any more of your time. and. Um... Can you can you um, just let me keep your phone number for now, just in case I want to call you again? Because I love this conversation. Me, you can call me anytime. <laughs> you know that I love hearing from you. I know. No I will. I will call you. I don't again. like. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for your time and um, anytime. I, I, thank you for your thoughts and thank you for your book, saying no to God. I I would encourage everyone listening to go pick that up because it is good, and I know you're going to have good shit down the road as well, right? Oh, I, I've got some stuff planned. I know you do too. Um, I hear you got a, a new podcast getting started or something. You should you should get me in on that, dude. You should get me in on that. When I launch it, I'll I'll consider it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Matt Reeves Cortman, ladies and gentlemen. Heavy on the Bible. A little heavy on a little heavy on the Bible here on the Apostate Show. Uh, but no, good dude. Pick up his book, Saying No to God. It is good if you're into the Bible stuff. And I love how how he makes the case that, you know, in the Bible, you should say no to God. You should wrestle with God. If it doesn't sound like God, tell him to fuck off. I don't know if he put it in so many words, but, um, but he has a smart ass. You know, he did not tell me to delete his number from the phone. No one would do that. No one in there. He was waiting by the telephone, waiting for me to call. It only rang twice, and he knew. He said, hello. He knew. He knew it was me, and he was just waiting to come on this show. Who isn't these days? So, uh, yeah, thanks, Matt, for coming on. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, like I said, in the opening, we're going to have Keith Giles next time. Keith the Sneak Giles. And uh, I don't know who we're going to have after that. Whoever's going to take a call from a schmuck like me. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, probably someone with an opinion. I'm guessing. I got friends in high places and low places. <laughs>
So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, there's so much going on in the world. Uh, the, the most recent is the NBA to, took a couple days off doing a little protesting, um, a little boycotting, whatever you want to call it, uh, because of this attempted murder, I'll call it, by the Kenosha police. Apparently in America, if you're black and you don't obey the cops, they're allowed to just shoot you in the back seven times and make you paralyzed. And I hear people saying that, well, if you if you just listen to the cops, you know, you're not going to get a bullet in you. Well, okay, great. Why did why is it justified that you if you don't listen, that you get shot? What the fuck is that? That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. I thought I thought this was the land of the free and the home of the brave. You're not really free. I mean, yeah, there should be there should be consequences. Don't get me wrong. There should be consequences if you're not doing what you should be doing, if you're not obeying the law. Just like there's consequences if you speed. There's consequences if you drive with a cell phone in your hand. <laughs> you get you get like a hundred dollar fine. You don't get fucking shot. That's some bullshit. Don't sit here and justify getting someone a cop shooting a black kid or a black guy seven times because he fucking didn't listen. That'd be like, well, my kid wasn't listening, so I beat the fucking shit out of him. Well, then you're an asshole, and social workers should come and take your kid and put him in a group home. Or wherever else is going to happen. I mean, Jesus Christ. And then there's a 17-year-old, uh, Rittenhouse, who apparently is... Uh, a, a single militia man, 17-year-old kid. I'm not even mad at the kid. He killed like two people, right? And the Kenosha police applauded it. I'm more mad. I mean, I'm mad at that. Yeah, 17-year-old kid. He should be tried as an adult. Don't get me wrong. But his fucking mom drove him. This, this is the thing. It matters how we raise our fucking kids. We're responsible for them to some degree. Yeah, there might be some. There might, there might be nothing you could do. Your kid might turn out to be a piece of shit, and you could have raised him right. You could have done everything that you could have done. We're all individuals to some degree, but we're responsible as well. If we raise our kid to be a gun-toting, just looking for fucking someone to shoot, which is really what was going on, just looking for someone to fucking shoot. And, you know, if we raise him that way, we should be responsible. So fucking... The mom should be arrested too and charged. Sending your fucking kid out. And 17, that's a kid. That's still a minor. Uh, should be tried as an adult, but still a minor. You're fucking responsible for it. And that's some bullshit. So that's going on in the world. Um, I don't blame the NBA players for... And MLS and a, and a bunch of other, you know... A bunch of other pro sports teams took a boycott. I guess... Uh, the NBA is going to continue their playoffs, but there was some talk that they weren't going to have it. I didn't. I mean, I don't care one way or another. I don't watch NBA, so I wasn't freaking out about it. I'm not tripping, and, you know. But I understand where they're coming from. I don't know if it will do anything. I hope it would. Something's got to change, and fucking, you know, got to try everything, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know. This is not going to be. This is not easy. This is not easy. I. Uh, I don't want to pat myself on the back because anyone could have seen the writing on the wall. But in uh, when I wrote from the blood of Abel, you know, I talked about that there being race rights coming. And I was surprised they hadn't happened yet. A race war, a civil war in terms of this. And it's not even like black versus white. 
It's it's almost like, do you see the systemic problem or you don't? Regardless of your color, do you see that black people are getting killed at a much higher rate per capita than non-black people? If you do, it's like you got to fight for justice. You got to fight for true equality. And then there's a, there's a bunch of people on the other side who who refuse to acknowledge that for whatever reason. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. This is a tough situation. It's a really tough situation. Um, speaking of tough situations, uh, I feel like I got to talk about Jerry Falwell Jr. <laughs> this motherfucker. Um, I don't. I don't take. Uh, I don't take joy in watching people's lives fall apart. Uh, if you don't know, Jerry Falwell Jr. was the ex-president of Liberty University, and he has recently stepped down, resigned. Because, um, well, he got caught or it got exposed by a pool boy that he was into some kink stuff where he watched his wife get fucked by the pool boy. Um, not here to shame anyone's kink. If that's what you're into, that's what you're into. That's not how my wife and I get down. But if that's what you want to do, you want to watch your wife get fucked. Hey, I, I, I. I, I I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you do. Uh, what, what do you? Do what you. Whatever floats your boat. You only live once, man. You want to be a swinger? Be a swinger. Whatever the fuck you're into. Don't give a fuck. There should be no problem. No shame in that. You're not gonna get any shame from me on what you're into sexually. However, Liberty University had a notorious stance. Notorious record on how they dealt with puritanical violations and sexual issues. Girls couldn't even dress provocatively, whatever it's loose, well, not loosely defined. I'm sure they have it defined like down to how long your skirts can be and all this shit. There's, I mean, it's like one of those universities. You can't touch. I don't think you can date someone who's not a Christian or someone who's not a student some shit like that i know they're anti-lgbt uh falwell's been on on trump's nuts since uh since his first election i'm guessing because he had some photos at that time maybe trump knew maybe there's some leaked photos who the fuck knows um all i know is falwell sold his soul to the orange devil himself uh four years ago and karma's a bitch I don't know if I believe in karma, but this is one of those things. Like, I don't take, again, I don't take joy in watching this happen, but it's not even fucking surprising any longer. It's not even surprising how many people are getting, who are the most judgmental layer down of the law out there. They get caught in doing some shit that they themselves would get kicked out of school for. And incidentally, Falwell is resigning, although... He is getting like a $10.5 million fucking payout or something. And also, when it, he came out and admitted it, he threw his wife under the bus and talked about how she was having an affair. No, motherfucker, you were getting cucked. And you were into it. So, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I have no joy in this. But it's just not... It's, it's like one of those things. Like, well, you know, shit. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised when this shit happens. 
I'm not surprised when people are like railing on gay people. It turns out they've been fucking the guys behind the scenes. I'm not surprised by it. It happens too much, too often. It's like, it's like a bad script. It's so predictable. It's so, it's too predictable. Like it's, it's too easy to make up. You can make this shit up because it's so easy. It's a script that's been written a hundred times before. And Falwell's just the next one. It's like we're not getting these cautionary tales. Judge not lest ye be judged. How many people who are the harshest judges and critics of other people's personal lives have fucked up lives themselves and are hiding shit? We all have fucked up things in our life to some degree. Just don't beat people over the head with your Bible when they are doing shit because you damn well know you're doing it too. You just haven't got caught yet. But things tend to come to the light. When people know shit, they tend to not keep it to themselves forever. That's again why I don't believe in conspiracies too often. If you get 10, 20, 30, 100 people knowing something and keeping things quiet, hey, you got to keep this hush hush. You better not say anything, man. This shit's going down. Eventually, shit's going down. Eventually, it is going to come to the light. And a bunch of people I know on socials, they're like, I'm not surprised by this. Saw this one coming. And I did too. I did too. It's too obvious. It's too fucking obvious. So hopefully, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to go to a Christian school, Christian university anyway. But hopefully at least the culture changes. Because I heard the culture there is fucked up. Like it's just, it's so fucked up. And... And Falwell, maybe he was a narcissist. I don't know. I don't know his personal life, obviously. Um, but it sounds like there's like a culture of fear, a culture of, you know, beating people over the head uh, with the Bible. It's like that scene in Saved when she throws the Bible at the girl who uh, who got pregnant. That's just what we do. It's what we fucking do, and it's um, it's becoming clearer and clearer how. Uh, detrimental this religion we call Christianity is at least to me and a bunch of other people and then there's a bunch of people fucking doubling down on it or writing it off you know writing off all the crazy shit and go well you know it's not perfect well you know you gotta deal with it sometimes it's best just to walk away and say fuck this shit you know go to a real university not that liberty's not real it's a real university but go to one that doesn't have such a fucking culture of shame and fear just throwing that shit on, like, heavy. Heavy. Like, the the um, the consequences if you fuck up in school or if you, you're doing anything sexual, anything unpuritanical. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, I mean, this shit was... Ki- kids, were, kids were getting, like, fucking hammered on by the rules. All the same time, Falwell is watching his wife get banged by the pool boy. <laughs> I hate to laugh. <laughs> but just picturing it, picturing the whole situation, it's like it's like watching um is it like a lifetime movie? I don't even fucking know. I don't know. I don't know what kind of movie it's like. I don't watch these kind of movies. But you can you can imagine you can imagine the scenes like they're almost playing out side by side in like a montage. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dean is putting down all the putting down the law on these kids and then he like sneaks off and 
watches the pool boy take his wife from behind <laughs> while he's in the corner. <laughs> like like R. Kelly in that closet hip hop run. <laughs> I was in the closet. <laughs> then he came and approached the closet. Oh my god. If you have not seen the fucking <laughs> R. Kelly closet hip hop run, it's like hours and hours long. Um I watched it one time, almost in one sitting when I worked at a group home. I watched it with one of my coworkers and my manager. Um, I think, I don't know what the kids were doing. There was nothing going on. A bunch of them might have been on a visit or something. And we watched that. It's so fucking hilarious. It gets a little old after a while because, I mean, we're talking we're talking literally hours. But it is so funny. Um, I mean, I don't support R. Kelly and promoting anything R. Kelly does, obviously. Um, but <laughs> oh my god, the hip opera that he did is—I um, don't know—is it accidentally funny? I'm assuming. Um, but yeah, good times, good times. What else is going on in the world? I—I I don't, I don't. Everything. This is um, Mike and I talked about it. I don't know, right around the time that uh, everything got locked down at the start of COVID, how every week there is a news story that would make national news, like for the year on like a highlight film, like a highlight reel. Like every week there's one of those, like in a normal year, that would be like national news, top 10, this is what happened this year. We're having those by the week, every fucking week. People getting shot. Riots because of, of black folks getting shot. Fucking huge fires. A hurricane. I don't even I haven't even read the news on on how Hurricane Laura did did her business. I did see that um it knocked down a uh, a, a Confederate statue that they just voted to not knock down. And God was like, nah, I think I'm going to tip this one over. <laughs> With the logic of Piper and all those fucking evangelicals, that would be the logic, right? No, it's only when the gay, it's only when the gays are doing stuff. That's when God gets angry and unleashes his holy fury upon the masses. It's only, it's only with the gays. It's not with, with the racism. There must be some other explanation on the why why the Confederate statue got tipped over by a, by a hurricane. But I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, shit. What else is going on around here? I don't really, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably about it. Uh, that's probably about it. Falwell, these, this thing going on in Wisconsin. I don't know how things are going to turn out, man. I don't know. My wife and I were talking about how, uh, couldn't wait for 2020 to be over. Or no, I was, was it? Was, who the fuck was I talking to? It might have been Keith. And I was like, yeah, that's what we said in 2019. <laughs> and then 2020 showed up and fucked everything up. And uh, what if it gets worse in 2021? There's no reason why we hit January 1, 2021, and everything's going to be better. Could get fucking worse. I think we're 20 some odd trillion in debt. That can't be good. I'm not an economist, but that shit can't be good. I heard there's a meteor hurtling through space in our direction. That I, I don't know. That might do some some damage. <laughs> I don't think it's very big, but um, 
I think the point taken, like, okay, we get the point. We're fucking shit up. I don't know. I think either way, like I talked about with Michelle, I think either way, if Biden wins, if Trump wins, we're fucked. I think I think there's going to be a large conglomerate of people who are pissed about about it no matter what, to the degree that I don't think people have been pissed before. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I hope I'm wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't want Trump. Could anyone be worse than Trump other than uh, Epstein? Rest in peace. I wish him well. <laughs> oh, that's kind of a sick joke. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it definitely, if this was a movie, it'd make for, I guess, interesting television. Interesting program. Primetime TV. Uh, but when it's real life, it, it gets a little bit, uh, a little scary. A little hairy. I think that's all I got for today. I hope you enjoyed uh, Mr. Mr. Matthew Reeves Cortman. I hope you enjoy Keith Giles next week. We're going to give him a ring a ding ding. Uh, I hope that you can uh, take a few moments to check out all the shit that I have published and produced. Heretic Happy Hour. Listen on all platforms. The Bonfire Session. Bonfire Sessions. We have multiple sessions, Matthew. Get your fucking act together. The Bonfire Sessions on all streaming platforms. Thank you for listening to this show. Go to allsetfree.com. Find all my books. Buy them. We've got, uh, we've got a big Kindle sale right now. You can get all of my choir books that are on, available on Kindle for $10 total. Heretic is $3.99 on Kindle. From the Blood of Abel, $3.99 on Kindle. The Bonfire Session Spring, 99 cents on Kindle. And the Bonfire Session Summer, 99 cents on Kindle. If my math serves me correctly, that's $10 for four books on Kindle. And you're welcome. I'm a giver. I'm a giver. My wife knows that. You know. No, I just want to, I want to, um, even the stuff that I sell, I want to make sure that it's available for people who don't have a lot of money. That's, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm in the spirit of giving. And speaking of giving, if you please could go to patreon.com slash mjdistefano. I will link in the show notes if you cannot remember that or you don't have a pen available and you want to help out. I have multiple tiers with multiple bonuses that you get in each tier. As the tiers go up in price, you get more shit and it helps me out even greater. Um, I want to give a shout out to everyone who has signed up on Patreon and I consider you all producers, even the $1 a month patrons are helping produce quality content for your oral, A-U-R-A-L, you perverts, pleasure. So go to patreon.com slash mjdistefano. I would love to not have three regular jobs for very long. So I just took my third job and I'm hoping that y'all can help me out. And support me on Patreon so I don't have to run myself into the ground. And uh, don't want to do that forever. I'm getting damn near 40. And I would rather only have like maybe two jobs or one. Shit, I'd like to have none. And just do this full time. But I need a lot of support. And I need people who believe in my philosophy. My philosophy is this. Give as much shit you can for free. 
for everyone to to get their hands on and the people who see the value and have the money can finance the whole motherfucker. So if you have the money, you have the means, even a dollar, one dollar a month, one dollar, you can really help this show and the other stuff that I do go a long ways in securing a solid future where more content can be produced. So consider it. And um, yeah, I'll see you next time. We will try to get a hold of Keith Giles and we will talk about whatever it is that is going on in the world that I feel like talking about. Um, what do we got here? It might, it'll be close to Premier League time. So uh, I'm going to have to talk about Spurs, Tottenham. And hopefully I'll be in a good mood and they'll be good this year. It looks like uh, we got Hoybier. Um He's a solid defensive midfielder, stay-at-home midfielder, super aggressive, protects the back four. Uh, we might be getting Doherty from uh, Wolves, which I think is a great pick, uh, pickup because uh, his stats are like about like Aurier's. But Aurier made so many fucking mistakes. That's where that's where stat that's where stats don't reflect a player's true, I think, uh, contribution to the team. Because if you could put up a bunch of stats and then make like five fucking mistakes in the, in a game that cost your team the, the match. So uh, yeah, we're gonna have to. We're, I'm gonna have to call my friend Brandon up. He's an Arsenal fan. Fuck off, you Gunners. Um, and we're gonna talk Premier League coming up soon. Probably have multiple calls to him throughout the year so we could talk shit to each other. I won't call him if Spurs are behind Arsenal in the, in the table. I'll never fucking call him. And he might not pick up if Arsenal's down in mid-table, but uh, we'll see what we could do. Anyway, peace and love. Have a good one. Stay safe out there. Wear a fucking mask. Wash your fucking hands. Don't be a cunt. Mm-hmm.